So let's start this morning. Um, so I want to tell a story uh, from when I was, I think, sixth, seventh grade. I don't know exactly what year it was, but around one of the like the movie classics, right? A uh, uh, Rocky Four. Um, do you remember? So Rocky Four was one of those. It was Rocky Balboa. You know, he's all five foot ten of him himself versus. Ivan Drago, Captain Ivan Drago, the Russian, right? And so he was like six foot nine. And so we all know in the real world that, that Rocky would never win. But, but in the context of like movie world, I mean, there's a chance. And so do you remember the scene? Like I, this is a true story. So I'm watching this movie, sixth, seventh grade. There are several people in the theater, right? It's not packed because we kind of went later on, but it was, there were a lot of people. And I'm sitting there watching the movie. You remember the kind of the last scene? He's got the, you know, Apollo Creed memory in his background, and he's like, and he's losing. Ivan Drago, I mean, he's, you know, it's like, man, it's like he's killing him. And, and there's that moment where he's like, has the memory, it's like, it's now time, right? It's now time. And, and so what does he begin to do? He begins to fight back, right? And there's that one scene where Rocky, it's like a slow motion, just makes full contact, and all of a sudden he starts bleeding, right? And in that moment, every single one of you who watch goes, it's about to happen, right? So I'm literally sitting in this movie theater, 6th, 7th grade, and, and Rocky starts doing his thing, right? He starts boom, 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 pummeling. And all of a sudden, I find myself, and I start raising up in my chair. And by the time we get to, like, to the meat of the movie where he's like pounding Drago, right? I'm literally going, get him, Rocky! Get him! Yeah! I'm like air punching the world. And I look around, and everybody's doing it, right? Because there was that moment, I mean, this is a true story, I'm like looking around like, yeah, right, go America. But it's this whole thing, right, where there's this something so beautiful and powerful in that moment where literally you see him engage and it's now time to fight back. And so when I was thinking about Advent coming into week three, and Randall said we're talking about joy this week. Like, it hit me this week, there's lots of ways you could describe Advent, and you can, like, make it super, like, like spiritual and so holy, right? Or you could just recognize they created it because there's a time to go rocky. There's a time to fight back, man. There's a time in Advent where it's all about the, the delusion that the church has been living under, where we are bound by fear, we are bound by our own idleness. We're bound by our lukewarmness. And the church said, man, it's time to fight back. It's time to not bow down to what the culture tells us to blind us and to keep us from the fullness of what God has for us. Let's create the Advent season as a time to fight back. And so Advent season and baby Jesuses and all sorts of stuff and Santa Claus coming to town, you have to remember Rocky. You do, man. Like, you got to remember, this is the season where we recognize and wake up and say, it is time. It is time to fight back. It's time to wake up. It's time to recognize this season that we're in of losing, losing in this battle of our life. Say, now, God, it is time to fight back. And we fight back, and just real quickly, we fight back, one, by remembering that's where we begin. You fight back by remembering. You remember who Jesus is, 
and you remember who we are in Jesus. Because there's that moment, right? There's that moment in Rocky where all of a sudden he's like, ah, I don't know if I can do this. And he all of a sudden remembers, he, he hits, he hits Ivan's raw going, what happens in the moment he believes? And so what happens for us is that when we're sitting there going through life and we're overwhelmed and joy is not present, there's this place where we begin by what? By simply remembering. Oh, Jesus is God and he is Lord over all things. Nothing is outside of his control. Nothing is stronger than him. Nothing is too overwhelming for him. The cross of Jesus is legitimate and he actually was raised from the dead. Then how come I'm losing to the Ivan Dragos of the world? Because I got Jesus fighting through me. I remember I remember who Jesus is, and because of who Jesus is, I remember who I am in him. That's where we begin. How do we begin fighting back? We just wake up and remember. And then in the, after the remembering, then there's this an intentional preparation, this work on our part. The things that we do where we say, all right, like the wise virgins that, that Jesus celebrated who prepared themselves, we want to, listen, live life remembering and then living with an intentional preparation in our own part. There's a movement, there's an action, an activity that we're embracing and that we're engaging in the remembering now to then punch. We read Ephesians. You're clothed in the armor of God. You're clothed in the armor of God. You're not weaker than. We have to remember who Jesus is, who we are, and then give ourselves to intentional preparation. So during this week of Advent, our remembrance, right, of who Jesus is and who we are in him, and our intentional preparation, it focuses on this work of joy that's, in us because Jesus is in us and it belongs to us. And so in this, joy is one of these attributes of God that if we're honest, it just seems so elusive to us in the context of our life. It's promised to each of us who know Jesus, but we wrestle. And in this, we have to remember, we have to fight we have to fight for its ongoing presence in our lives. And so with that, let's first look at the promise, the promise of joy in the context of the world in which we live. Your Bibles, you can turn there. It's the Linus story, right? Luke chapter 2 of Jesus, right? It says in this, it says in verse 8, chapter 2, it's on the screen. And in the same region, in the same region where Jesus, excuse me, where Mary and Joseph were in the, in the manger, right? In the barn. It says, in the same region where there were shepherds, where there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find it, you're wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those 
with whom he is pleased. So we've talked about joy many times at Vintage, but I want to just restate again and remember what we're talking about when speaking about biblical joy. It is not, it is not the fickle emotion of happiness that comes and goes based on circumstances in our lives, like the waves, like, hey, oh, hey, oh, right? You know what I'm getting at? That fickle up and down, just the emotional nature, right? I'm happy, um, ah, right? That whole dynamic that seemingly, seemingly drives most of us in our lives. How are you doing? I'm doing great because something good just happened. How are you doing? Five minutes later, I'm doing bad. This has happened, right? We live in this dynamic of up and down. But instead, joy is on the screen. Joy is a deep sense of well-being. I want you to, I want you to listen, I want you to hear and I want you to feel these words. I want you to compute it with your intellect and I want you to compute it with your heart, okay? Both parts of how God designed us. Joy is a deep sense of well-being. It is a peace that abides in our hearts regardless of our situation, good or bad. It's that sense, it is that sense of contentment that says, no matter the circumstances I find myself in, no matter how difficult things get, I have an unshakable place deep inside of me that no one or no thing can touch. Like, do you, do you see that? Do you, do you feel that? Like, this is something much deeper, much more rich than just the fickleness of up and down emotions that we experience, isn't it? This is like, when I'm not doing well, I have an inner contentment. In the context of of hell breaking loose in my life, I have found this unshakable place deep inside of me that it can't touch. Like, that seems elusive. We, We wrestle with that. What we find is, in a very real sense, peace and joy. Man, they are, they are linked together. You really can't have one without the other. They, they ultimately are used to define each other. And so what we're getting at this morning is that when the angels spoke to the shepherds at Jesus' birth, this is what they spoke. There is a good news of great joy for all humanity. And here's the thing. I want you to hear this. Like, when you read those words, you should stop and go, hmm, that is huge. Because what happened, think about this. We don't know exactly when the angels were created, but somewhere along the way they were created. And in their creation, they are hanging out with God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? They're doing life. And so, I mean, there's not really much going on right now in the, in the, in the cosmos. And so, I guess they're just hanging out talking. And what they're probably talking about is the future that is to come in the context of humanity. And so, somewhere on the way, they then created humanity, right? They then created all that we have. And so, then they, then they watched fallenness. And so, immediately when the fallenness of man happened with Adam and Eve, In that moment, I was like, all right, well, then there's redemption. There's a salvation plan. We're going to save them from all of this. And so for thousands of years in our mindset, they're sitting around just having like, I don't know, like water cooler talk around the office about, hey, someday we're going to send Jesus. He's going to redeem the world. And every single human being can have eternal, never-ending contentment and joy that never goes away. So the angels understood something. That's elusive to us. 
Like when they came down, the first thing they would say, hey, 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 welcome. This is great. You're out here shepherding. Let me tell you what's coming. It's good news of great joy for you. I mean, it's great joy. It's not a little bitty joy. It's great inner contentment, satisfaction that, that literally paints every core of your being and everything going on. Not regardless of circumstances, man. It's good news and it's great joy for you. Like in this, you should go, that is the promise stated from the moment that Jesus was born. So I don't know about you and how you pray, but I always return back to and remind Jesus of the things that he promised and the things that he said. Like when all hell's broken loose, I say, Jesus, you said good news of great joy, and I, it's elusive right now, but it belongs to me. belongs to me. So, when looking at joy's source, the source of joy, right? Looking at the source of joy, you have to see this. The arrival of joy is directly a link to the arrival of Jesus, right? Joy source, the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the source. It's good news of great joys. The Son, the son of God's being born in Bethlehem, Right? Like, he's coming. Like, it's joy because he's coming. The arrival of Jesus means the arrival of joy that's for all humanity. Luke says, I bring you good news, a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It means true joy, a biblical joy, finds its source wholly, solely, and completely in the coming of Jesus and in his presence in the world. And honestly, his presence in their lives. Like, do you ever have those moments where you just get in the presence of Jesus and everything shifts? And I just wonder, what happened? Like, what happened to the disciples, excuse me, to the, to the shepherds? Like, you thought about, like, they, like, you've seen all these, over the years, all these little things, and you see the shepherds come, like, hey, hey bowing down. It's kind of awkward moment, like a, Lady just gave birth and her husband and random strangers. It's kind of awkward, but it's like the Son of God is laying there, maybe in, probably in mom's arms. And I just wonder what happened to them. Like that all of a sudden being just in the presence of Jesus just caused all the years of angst of shepherding to just melt. Like they were so compelled by what they experienced in the moment, that in the wee hours of the morning, when it's time to be quiet, they are running through the village saying, He's been born. The Messiah's been born. The Son of God, the Messiah, has come. We've seen Him. We've seen Him. Come and see. Like, what so happened in their hearts by experiencing the presence of Jesus that it compelled them, compelled them to get up in the wee hours? And I don't do that to my neighbors. That's mean. They would not probably appreciate that. But man, they felt compelled. God, there's something about the presence of... Listen, hear me. There is something about the presence of Jesus that just changes everything in our lives. Do you feel the weight and gravity of that? That was a prophetic statement from the Lord. The presence of... 
of God takes weight and makes it light. It takes confusion and breaks its power. It takes frustration, anger, anxiety, and worry and depression, and it just shifts it. It's just what the presence of Jesus does. So therefore, in this season of fighting and back, it's imperative that we remember the joy available to us in the presence of Jesus and to remember and intentionally prepare ourselves by Rocky Balboaing and just fighting for it and going after it. Ivan Drago is not bigger than Jesus. So point number one, true joy finds its source in our ability to live mindful and aware of Jesus' presence. True joy finds its source in our ability to live mindful and aware of Jesus' presence. I, I love David, his sentiment in Psalm 16. If, you have not, like if you're looking for a good psalm to read this week to give you the feels, go read Psalm 16. Right, it gets you, oh, this is awesome. This makes you feel good, right? It's like, go read Psalm 16. Read the promise. Heart be the prayer of David. Go read his prayer. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Let's read verse 16. It says this, You, God, make known to me the path of life. Like, you speak the path. If you're confused with path, direction, clarity, that's what Jesus does, right? You've got to be in his presence. He makes known to us as we're with him the path of life. And then it says, you fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I don't even know what that means, but it sure sounds good. You know what I'm saying? I mean, joy and eternal, never-ending, that never-go-away pleasures from God. I mean, like, this is awesome. This is awesome. It's satisfying, gratifying, fulfilling. There's something in it. But here's what I want you to see. Don't miss the heart of David. He's praying this prayer of like joy and eternal pleasures. But I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to kind of pull out some things. Verse 1. Verse 1, David begins speaking about requiring safety from the Lord. He starts out by praying. Verse 1, listen, I, I need you to hide. Like I need you to save me. He recognizes there are things in his life. That are not safe, things that he is experiencing. So he doesn't feel like he could, he could not, he could not feel safe, right? Verse five, he speaks about God keeping him secure because there are things that cause him to feel insecure. We see go down in verse uh, eight, he said, God is the one who keeps him from being shaken. How does, why does God keep him from being shaken? Because there are things and people in his life trying to shake him. So what I want you to see in the context of David's prayer is he is aware of all the situations in life that could cause him to feel unsafe, insecure, and shaken. But he turns in verse 11 and makes it clear, hey, but joy, the joy, the joy, the joy required to live above these realities is found in the presence of Jesus. And along with it comes eternal pleasures. Why don't you give the rest of your life to figure out what that means? I mean, seriously, eternal pleasures, those sound awesome. So let's give ourselves to it. Last year I quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones, and it was so good I had to quote it again. He says this, There is only one thing that can give true joy, 
And that is an intentional focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at that again. There is only one thing that can give true joy, and that is an intentional focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies my mind. Think about all the things that are going through your mind. He satisfies my emotions. All the things that feel stripped, that feel bare in the context of your life, right? He satisfies my every desire. Can you think, can you name the desires that you've had in the last week, two month, whatever it is? He's ultimately the one who satisfies. He and his great salvation include the whole personality and nothing less. And in him, I am complete. Joy, in other words, is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Joy is how we respond when we know Jesus. Joy is, our, is the reaction of our mind, our will, and our emotions to when we come into the presence of Jesus. Joy is a fruit. Joy is a fruit of God's presence in our lives. That's why we can say, listen, joy is not circumstantial. Hear this. This is really, really important. Why is joy not based on circumstances? Because God is with us for eternity. So joy is not temporary and circumstantial. It is eternal because he never leaves and never forsakes. And he doesn't, he doesn't get wishy-washy and say, joy today, not today. Joy today, not today. He doesn't do that. That would be mean. That would be like the Greek gods. He is far above them. He's not wishing. He is eternal. If he's given joy, then it's ours. It's not circumstantial. It is eternal. So, we can't. And here's the deal. So, joy is a fruit of God's presence. I've got to catch myself up. Here we go. How many things? However many. Listen. So many things come to steal our joy. The knowledge of joy. And to be honest, we can let it. It can't literally take our joy, but can steal our knowledge of it. We have to fight back. It's something we must choose to embrace. Immaturity, immaturity, a sign of maturity is that we live aware of the attacks and we do our part to remember and to intentionally pursue and to fight for what already belongs to us by giving ourselves even when we don't feel like it, to the presence of Jesus. So let's do this this morning. Audience participation. If you're holding someone's hand, let them go. This is a moment for you and Jesus. We're going to have one of those awkward church moments where all 100 and something of us are going to be still before the Lord and it's to allow him to speak into us, okay? Here's the deal. For those of you who fought with your spouse on the way here, mentally ask forgiveness from the Lord in the moment so you can come solely and wholly focus on him in the moment. Those of you who screamed at your children, you can apologize in a little bit. They're going to be okay. God's grace is sufficient for all of their terrible, your terrible parenting, okay? Like focus in the moment and focus on Jesus. I want you to have a moment with the Lord. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Make sure you exhale, it's important, and then just sit before the Lord. Take a moment, let the distractions fall away. Now I want you to slow down mentally, emotionally, just slow down. 
And I want you, to the best of your ability, to, to focus your gaze on Jesus or a thought about Jesus, a reality of Jesus. Just focus, to your best of your ability, to focus off of stuff and to how you focus on Jesus. And I want you in this moment to find him. When I go looking for Jesus, I'm not looking for like a, I'm looking for his face. I'm not looking, oh, let me see what his face looks like. Does he have a beard? I'm not doing that. I'm looking for his traits. So in the moment of being overwhelmed, I'm looking, I'm going, I'm slowing down to look for his peace. I'm looking for his traits. I'm looking for his perspective. This seems really big. I'm looking for his perspective to see it through the eyes of Jesus. I want to see, I want to sense the love of Jesus because I feel really alone. So let's take 30 seconds just between you and Jesus to slow yourself down, breathing in, breathing out, and focus, slow down just to be in his presence just for these 30 seconds. Go ahead. You get about 45 seconds. I was amazed. <clears throat> I was amazed at the first service. How, like I'm sitting up here doing this with you, right? I hope it's not super awkward to the point you're like, I'm so uncomfortable. I'm never coming back to Vintage. I just want you to be able to connect with Jesus. That's the greatest thing that any church can offer you is Jesus, right? And I was, it was crazy. I'm like, it's just amazing how powerful 30 seconds can be. Like, I'm just sitting here, I'm like, I just, you know, I first service, I engaged. I just said, this time I said to the Lord, what are you thinking? And he said, oh my gosh, I'm so delighting in this. And he reminded me of Song of Songs says, you've made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You've made my heart beat faster with one single glance of your eyes. It was the heart of the Father speaking to the lover. And I was like, It's like, man, it's 30 seconds. Like, some of you are like, that's the best 30 seconds I've had all week. 45 seconds, right? Best 45 seconds I've had all week. Some of you are like, I was almost there, right? I was almost there. I was talking to my dad. He's like, man, I'm in the season, Steve. It takes me a good hour to slow down to find him, right? And you're like, that was a long way away, but I knew I was on the right path, right? 
If you felt condemned in the moment, just be honest. It wasn't Jesus, so you're good, right? If you're like, oh, it's such a terrible person. I can't go in his presence. That's not the Lord. That's the enemy, okay? Just go ahead and just call that out. Jesus got excited. Like his heart beat faster. He got excited. Do you ever see Jesus that way? Like, a, like someone whose heart beats faster. There's a level of emotion and intentionality. I mean, it's just really, really cool. It kind of changes your dynamic of seeing him. And so, man, 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Change the perspective in the moment, right? Joy is a fruit of God's presence. Your life steals it every day. Would you just make your life full of 30 seconds? Just make your life full of 30 seconds. You're at your job, and people are clamoring for your attention. Just tell them you got to go to the bathroom. Man, there's no holier place than sitting on the throne. Man, go sit in there and just take 30 seconds to be with Jesus. Right? Put some toilet paper down. It's kind of awkward. Right? But you're not getting at It's like, sit there, man. My kids, when they were little, I mean, they'd go, Dad, you're in the bathroom like five times a day. I know. I'm regular with Jesus. Right? It's like, no, be with him. Point two, joy requires a knowledge of Jesus' life. Joy requires a knowledge of Jesus' life. Why? Hear this. Because Jesus lived a life of joy. He experienced joy. But it's super important to recognize his life looked no different than yours. You're like, well, he was God. Well, he was a human being empowered by the Spirit of God to be your model of what a human being can look like empowered by his Spirit. Like, if you want a theology that will change your life, That's it. Jesus lived the life he lived as a model for us to show what a human being can look like empowered by the Spirit. Jesus didn't live the life he lived because he was God. He lived the life he lived because he was empowered by God's Spirit that he sent you. That's why it was such a great promise. And so he comes in the moment and Jesus is like, my life look no different than yours. So many times joy escapes us, right? Because of what we named difficult, unforeseen circumstances in your life. You've all experienced them. You've all, we've all experienced these unforeseen circumstances that overwhelm us, right? But we have to remember, right? In these moments, we feel as if life is against us. We find ourselves struggling with the reality of joy in our life. But we have to remember the gospel story of Jesus. What is that? Number one, he came to earth as a little baby just like us, right? He suffered just like us. He struggled like us. The majority of life was not unlike all of ours. We don't know much of the first 30 years of Jesus' life, probably because no one wrote about it because nothing super special was happening. You only write about special people. They write about this, the three years of Jesus' life, but not much of the first 30. Why? Because he was just living the monotony and the drudgery of everyday life, doing a job, responsibilities in the house, doing his chores and taking care of everything. We don't know for sure, but somewhere along the way, you know this, Joseph probably died or he just left. We have no idea what happened. Which meant, because he was the oldest, he stepped into the responsibility of having to be the caretaker and provider for his mom and for all of his brothers and sisters. Or at least brothers, not my sisters, right? But brothers at least, right? He became, the, he became responsible. How many of you don't raise your hand but grew up with single moms or single dads? How easy was that for them? 
How many of you had to be the older sibling in a difficult situation? It was overwhelming. And Jesus experienced that. His life was not just bonbons and roses. His life was like ours. And it would be wrong to pretend that all of Jesus' life was exciting, fulfilling, or even profitable. And it would be wrong to think Jesus was loved by everyone, popular, never had enemies. Jesus struggled. He faced hardship. He experienced the monotony of everyday life. He had enemies just like you. And he lived with the fruit of joy, inner contentment, satisfaction, and peace in all of these moments. doesn't mean things weren't overwhelming. doesn't mean he didn't have to fight to break through in moments. But ultimately, even in his fighting, there was this deep sense of being in communion and at rest with the Father. And it is the model for you. If Jesus could do it, then so can you. If Jesus can experience it, then so can you. He only modeled what he, know, what he knew we could experience. He only modeled what he knew our reality could be. You should go read the Gospels all differently. If Jesus only modeled what we can experience, then my life means has a lot of room for movement. So in the third century, right, I'm going to read this. I read this last year again. I just love it. An anonymous man about to die said this. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters. Of their souls, their mind, their will, and emotions, right? They are masters of their mind, their will, and their emotions. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one. That's the Rocky Balboa moment right there. Can I get an amen? It's time. Mm, I'm about to die, but I'm fighting, baby, because I want the joy of the Lord. Stephen, as he's being stoned, looked up and saw the Father and was like, oh my gosh, peace. Joy, contentment in the midst of having massive stones crushing him. That's crazy. That's what it means to be a Christian. If we are, listen, in our lives, if you, if we are aspiring to perfection, as in everything being rosy and easy this side of heaven, then we will absolutely miss joy. Joy is needed because we live in a bad world. We must accept that. If not, we will live unsettled, upset, and disillusioned the majority of our lives. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus. But hear this. The kingdom of God has come, but it hasn't come yet fully. We still live in a fallen world. We still live in flesh and bones. We still live in a world of temptation, right? We feel, still feel drawn because we, the kingdom's come, but not yet fully, in its fullness, in its completeness. So what does that mean? We will live in a world of tension at all times. That's why those who live in abject poverty just seemingly embrace joy a whole lot easier than I do. Because I expect everyone to be nice to me. 
I expect everyone to give me the right to the life and the liberty and the pursuit of my own personal happiness at all times and to never offend me because I have expectations of how they should treat me and what my life should look like, right? And I deserve, I deserve these three vacations a year. I deserve all of these things down the line because that's just who I am, right? And so when those things don't happen, what happens? I get frustrated. I get sad, upset. I get overwhelmed. And those in poverty go, no, it's just life. That's just life. That's no, those things don't produce your joy. Are you crazy? We found the secret. It's this inner contentment we have in the context of all that we possess in Jesus. You get that, theoretically, don't we? All of us do. It's not in stuff. It's in Jesus. So, how do we live in joy? I'm going to name four things this morning. This is not an exhaustive list. These are just four things that I'm naming to help you on your journey towards embracing the fullness of God's joy in your life that already, here's the crazy thing, you don't have to go look for it. It already belongs to you. Isn't that crazy? Inner contentment, peace that brings internal satisfaction so we're not overwhelmed by anything in life. It's in your grasp. Why? Because it's an eternity and Jesus inside of you. It's crazy, right? Here we go. Number one, how do we then embrace what already belongs to us? Slow down. Slow down. Busyness steals our joy. Practice as a discipline slowing down so you can hear. Listen. It took you three seconds to get over the awkwardness of sitting in a room full of 200 and something people to be still and find God. And you somewhat did. Either you were on the journey, you were either there immediately or you were on, you were on the way there at least, right? And so what if you just took 30 seconds all the time during the day just to slow down and to connect? Just to make it a practice. I mean, literally walking from point A to point B in your office, mentally, you can slow down. You can. Number two, be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. His, remember, his presence is the only source of joy. His presence, not your hobbies, not your pastimes, not time away from church, not time away from people, not time away just to do your own thing. Those things aren't the source of joy. Jesus is the source of joy. A person being very busy in the intentional presence of Jesus is more at rest than the person who's given themselves on vacation but not connecting with him at all. Jesus is the source of your presence. Excuse me. Jesus is the source of your joy. His presence is the source of of your joy. Be with Jesus. Make time. 30 seconds all day long, right? Number three. This is kind of attached. All these are kind of just work together. Be mindful and aware of Jesus' presence. Like, I don't know about y'all, but I find myself in the context of my day very easily losing sight of Jesus. So I'm in a, I'm in a meeting. It's not going well. If I'm honest, I'm frustrated. I want to just kind of like argue, right? So what, so in that moment, am I, am I experiencing and finding Jesus? Because when I find Jesus, it changes my perspective. In the context of, of, of my life with my, with my spouse, right? In the context of my children, all that I'm doing, 
I'm just inviting Jesus to, I'm, to invite him, I'm inviting, excuse me, Jesus is inviting me to be aware of his presence with me. All that I'm doing, everywhere that I go, am I just saying, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, where are you? He's always present. In, every, in the context of terrible situations, Jesus, where are you? Because why? When I see, when I am able to connect with Jesus in those moments, listen, when I connect with Jesus in those moments, guess what happens? I have perspective all of a sudden, don't I? I have, per, I have perspective. It's like all of us, like, I'll never forget when I was, in, when I was at Young Harris College, my first couple of years, right? I, I literally, uh, when life was not going great or I was struggling or school, whatever it was, you could, there's a place called Bell Mountain, and you could literally, I had a four-wheel four drive, right, blazer. So I would literally, I would drive all the way to the top. And then you could go climb up the other part of the mountain, and you could literally, like a cliff right here, like hundreds of feet, I could sit right on that cliff and just watch. Do you know why I did that? Not because I thought it was pretty, although I did. It's because when I went there, I went to be with Jesus, because being there just created perspective. This is not life and death. This is just what's going on today. This is just what's happening. It just is what it is. All right. You know how it is when you see a car? It's this, you know, you know, how long in real life. And also you look at a car like an ant driving down. You're like, oh, perspective. This is how Jesus views even all my situations in life. I am aware and mindful of his presence. Why? Because it creates perspective. True joy is dependent on. On us living aware of him at all things. Number four. Fight for joy. Rocky Balboa, right? The enemy is always looking to steal, kill, and destroy. Every day. You don't defeat the enemy and go, hey, I'm done for the next month. Every day. Every day. Trying to kill, steal, and destroy. Every day we come out, man, with our gloves on, armor on us. Ephesians 6 in it, right? The armor of God clothing us every day. We must embrace in these moments this call to fight for joy, to remember, to remember and then intentionally pursue and prepare ourselves, right? We begin that by embracing a self-awareness. We begin this by embracing a self-awareness of how we are doing. You can't know, like you, you, only way you know how you're doing with joy is if you're aware. And so if I'm, if my, my life is defined by impatience, if my life is defined by anger, or if the moment of my life is defined by frustration, then I've lost sight of Jesus. I have to go back and fight for his presence so that I can see him again and create perspective and allow his peace to overwhelm me as he tells me how much he loves me and that he's for me and not against me, but that he's going to give me the power of his spirit to ultimately empower me to take those punches that he had taken life. Once you begin to realize his presence... Once you begin to go after me and you fight for joy, as you return to Jesus, as you do these things, it becomes natural. You see, the greatest tension for us in this Advent season of preparing ourselves and intentionality and remembering, and then I'm going to say this and I'm done, is we have so conditioned ourselves to be defined by circumstances. We have so defined ourselves to think through life in the context of 
all of these things that I have frustration around and and my own fixing of things and me trying to read self-help books and all these types of things, right? And it's as simple as reconditioning ourselves to just say, no, it's found in the presence of Jesus. It's just like a person, you know, it's like when you... When all you ever eat is fast food every day, you condition your body to to need that. And you start eating vegetables, you're like, ugh, right? And you have to recondition yourself to to eat right. But when you do what happens, you feel better. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh my gosh, i got energy again. And this is amazing. And so what happens is we so conditioned ourselves in the context of our life to think through self-help and, and self-promotion and through circumstances and all of these things. It's like fast food, and we have to then recondition ourselves. Why do you think when you gave your life to Jesus when you were 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, the first thing you hear is say, hey, you got to start praying and reading your Bible because everyone knows that's the greatest way for us to experience Jesus, and it feels like vegetables. But we give ourselves to it so much that all of a sudden stops being vegetables. We're like, actually, this is really tasty. You can do some great stuff with some vegetables, right? This isn't half bad. And actually, you know what? I go eat a bird, like eat like a fast food. I'm like, ah, this, man, like my insides are getting ripped apart. It was okay in the moment, but ah, it feels gross. I just need to go, give me some apples, right? Clear out the system. Give me some salad, whatever. You know what I'm getting at? Like I'm belaboring a point you understand, but I want to belabor because, man, let's start, bela- let's start making and belaboring an intentionality of being with Jesus and finding satisfaction in his presence. Why? Because it's good news of great joy for all of humanity that belongs to you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your power. I thank you, God, for your pursuit of us, God, to bring us into your presence and to continually speak life over us. Lord, in this moment, we just confess that joy does really seem so elusive so many times. But I praise you, God, that you are always fighting for us to experience it. You created a whole season of Advent to be about coming after you. And so, Lord, in this moment, I just pray for every single person here, God, that you would awaken. God, we just all confess, Lord, each of us can name things right now that we need perspective in. We can all name things, God, we need wisdom in. Things that seem overwhelming, things, God, that just seem like too much. And so this morning, we just invite you to speak, Jesus. We just invite you to come and do a work that only you can do. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. This morning, we, we want to respond to the things the Lord is doing. So we always have one response. It's like this worship through tithes and offerings. We invite you to come. We do a response every week in communion, just remembering what Jesus has done but remembering it's still active and alive for us today we have ministry teams to be available on both sides why do we do ministry teams well because we just there's power in praying for people it's just real simple like the you think about it y'all I mean the ministry of Jesus the 
beyond, honestly, a little bit of teaching that he did, was just literally all day long praying for people. Why don't we just be about the thing that Jesus was primarily about, which is praying for people who are in need. That's why we have ministry teams. Just want to do what Jesus did. So as they, they can go ahead and come forward now. That's you. Just go ahead and come. So people can see you. These people, I know them. They want to pray for you. They want to pray for the things going on in your life. They want to pray for breakthrough. Hear this. There's not a single person in this room who would say, I don't really have anything you can pray for me about. No, all of us have something. So what does that mean? We're all on the same boat. We all don't need a prayer. So no one's more needy than somebody else. You're all needy. So, man, let's get prayer. Let God do his work. When we come to the altar this morning, let's let God begin to do a work of awakening. Let's let him do that. Let's respond to the work of the Lord this morning and not leave until we feel like and know that we've been changed. So, you respond to the Lord, leads. I'll come back up here in a few minutes. It's super early. It's got plenty of time today. You're in no rush. The restaurants are not going anywhere, I promise, right? You respond to the Lord, leads. Let him do his work. And then we'll come